You're listening to Your Best Life, powered by Mercy One. Join us as we have a fun conversation with certified experts and physicians about health topics for you and your family. It's Your Best Life, our one purpose. Hey, everyone. This is Sherry. Hey, and it's Adam. And you are listening to Your Best Life, powered by Mercy One. Today, we have Jeff Frost, the Executive Director of Professional Technical Education with us, joining us from the Waterloo School System. And just want to thank Jeff for joining us. Thanks, Jeff. No problem. Glad to be with you. So we asked, for our podcasters listening today, we asked Jeff to join us because as a mother myself and Adam, a new dad, we, we are wanting to get feedback from those professionals that are in the school system with kids going back just recently. We want to talk about COVID and how it's affected this coming school year, what things you've put in place to help um, safeguard the children coming back and how you came to those decisions. So thanks for joining us. And I, I'm sure it was a heavy task this summer trying to figure out what to do bringing back the kids with COVID. Uh, absolutely. So as you may remember, uh, last March 9th, we left for spring break and um, we knew as May or March turned to April, April to May, and how our school year ended that um, really um, this was not going to go away. So we knew we had to really spend a lot of time this summer and focus on what would our return to learn plan look like. Um, the governor did give us um, I would say a mandate, but really a direction um, in late May or early June saying that we had to put together something called a return to learn plan. Our administrative team, plus um, hundreds of different instructors, staff members and such, basically spent the month of June um, meeting via Zoom and uh, looking at all aspects of our return to learn plan. I think we had six different subcommittees that worked on um, this plan. And uh, through those Zoom meetings, through those meetings and uh, discussions, um, we were able to submit by July 1st our return to learn plan. That plan in itself was really just kind of a a template or a a framework. Um, It did not have the nuts and bolts of what our return would look like. Um, It was just the, you know, really the outline of, of what was expected of us from the governor's office at that time. So we put that together. And then July and August, uh, up until school started, the last six weeks has been really spent on filling in the details of that, of that plan. So uh, again, like I said, you know, we did not see this coming per se. Um, and we shut down for, for three months. And we wanted to have a plan in place that um, no matter what, happened no matter where we were at on August 24th that we were prepared as a district to resume education for our students um, in in a manner that was going to be probably um, well not probably it was definitely gonna be better than it was when we didn't really have any time to plan for it back in March. This obviously looks different the return to learn plan from school district to school district from larger districts in um, an urban setting versus the smaller districts that might be more rural, that's going to be customized from district to district over what their particular plan would look like, right? Absolutely, because, you know, what happens in uh, Shaler, Iowa, or Crestland, Iowa, or Akron, Iowa, um, is different than what's happening in Waterloo or Sioux City. Um, There is a definite difference from urban to rural or even to um, suburban districts just because of the size and scope and number of students that we deal with 
um, the, the number of buildings that we have to work with here. So yeah, you know, there's 300 plus districts in the state of Iowa, 360 or something like that. I would guarantee that there's a lot of similarities, but you would not, I, I think you'd be hard pressed to find one plan that would be identical per se across the state for any singular district, just because, you know, we all craft them for our specific districts. Now, with that said, um, I do know our um, top level leadership, our superintendent, Dr. Jane Lindemann, has been working with the local um, superintendents that are contiguous with the Waterloo schools. You know, any, any surrounding district, you know, around us, you know, they were having regular meetings discussing, you know, hey, what are you doing? But we also have something called the, the UEN or the Urban Education Network. And that's um, a network of the largest districts in the state because not only did we want to be kind of on the same page with our local districts that are close to us because there are a lot of sharing stuff that takes place between us and a lot of similarities of what's happening here in Blackhawk County and close to Blackhawk County. But there's also a lot of similarities of what a return to learn plan would look like for a large district. So Dr. Lindemann, um, Dr. Mohorn, our associate superintendent, uh, Kingsley Botchway, our HR director, and a lot of our upper level um, administrators have been working with our uh, cohorts in the UEN or the Urban Education Network of the larger districts and just trying to figure out specifically, you know, what are you doing? And, you know, um, again, we're, we're kind of creating this on the fly, but really bringing all of these different groups together, the local districts and talking and or the, the urban education networks and discussing what we're, they were doing um, really helped us put some um, meat on, on the bones of this, uh, of this template or this framework here. So lots of um, collaboration, lots of discussion, a lot of people to, a lot of people in the planning part, um, a lot of, uh, committees and groups uh, from other districts coming together and discussing. Um, but ultimately, in the end, it, it does come down to a Waterloo plan um, that we felt was best for our district. Well, you know, um, as a mom, I was I was so happy to see my son return back to school. And I think most parents were just excited for some kind of new normal. And um, I guess with that being said, so you do you have phases built into this as far as what if this happens? So students go back to school. This is what the expectation is for safety. Um, what if there is an outbreak, then do you have a secondary plan in place for parents, for students, if that happens again? Absolutely. Because obviously, you know, we don't have crystal ball. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know when it's going to happen. You know, we've been working very closely with um, uh, Blackhawk County Health has been tremendous to work with. Um, we are following CDC guidelines, but we're also working with, with Blackhawk County Health. Um, so we do have, you know, obviously with no crystal ball and not knowing what the future holds, we, much like you said, you know, you know I have a, a son um, starting his freshman year. We wanted we know we want to get our kids back in school too, but we want to do it right and we want to do it safely. And so, uh, you know, the reality is, is we are bringing our kids back. Um, but we do have, um, I would say, uh, safeguards in place for different scenarios as they play out. Um, I think one of the strengths of the plan that we put together is we do have the ability at any time to either dial up or dial down as a district and dialing up or dialing down 
really could mean anything from, we started with um, in, in our high schools with the hybrid method, which is, um, you know, social distancing, as we know, is a big part of what the CDC is telling us is, is best practice. And so when you have West High School that has 1,800 students um, in a building, it, it's very difficult to truly safely social distance in that building. So the AB model is basically we have students that are designated A, a students or B students, and they come every other day, and then we flip it the next week. Um, you know, so it might go A, B, A, B, A, and then the next week would be B, A, B, A, B. And so they get the same amount of, of time in the classroom, and basically the instructors are teaching every other day there. But, you know, getting back to the, do we have contingency plans? Absolutely. So a big thing for us, and you're going to hear this term from us quite often, is being able to dial up, dial down, you know, if something would happen. So we have, I mean, we got it down to if a classroom has exposure, you know, we can deal with a classroom. If the building has an exposure, we can deal with the building. If it's a truly an outbreak across the, the county or with across the district, um, you know, we can deal with that. Let's say Tyson's would have something happen there. We have a lot of students that are um, children of Tyson's employees or Deer's, Deer employees, you know, and, and there's an outbreak there that would really affect our district. You know, we have the ability to uh, shut down in-person learning and go virtual. Um, you know, so we, we have to have that ability to um, work with students both face-to-face, -face, um, which is vital. I think one of the biggest things for us getting, you know, getting students back was the social and emotional health of our students and our staff. Um, because when, you know, the norm that they've been living their entire uh, careers and, and it, you know, being in going to school changed on a dime back in March. And we know a lot of students truly suffered because of that. And, you know, we wanted to get kids back with kids in front of our staff, in front of our professionals. It was good for the kids. It's good for our staff. It's good for education in general. But again, you need that contingency because if something does happen, you have to be able to dial down a classroom or dial down a school or dial down the district. And, you know, that might be, okay, we're going to wait two weeks and see where we're at. And we're going to go to all online learning and, and that. So a big part of our plan um, was planning for what those different scenarios may look like. And then really the big part is, you know, when we shut down in March, we really did not have a plan in place and we weren't ready prepared for anything dealing with online or virtual learning. And, um, you know, a large part of our, our task force, and a large part of our summer has been spent. If we do have to shut down or, you know, we do have, we did give our um, families options of actually going virtual, you know, how are we going to still educate those students as best we can? So we spent a lot of time as a district figuring out, um, you know, we went all in on one-to-one. -one. So now every student in the district would either have a Chromebook or if they're younger, um, preschool, first grade, um, they would have uh, an iPad. Uh, so we, we went all in there. Um, we also have been very proactive working with, uh, with uh, I believe, Mediacom, on making sure that everybody has internet because you know the the iPad or the Chromebook is only as good as the the internet service that you have, and many of our families did not have any internet connectivity, which really back in March, April, and May made it almost impossible for them. We were uh, 
working feverishly back then to get hotspots set up, to get families connected to Mediacom. And, um, you know, again, like we weren't prepared for that. This time around, we are prepared and, and we do have a plan in place. This, like many things in the age of the pandemic, is is a, is a uh, hotly debated issue, and everybody has an opinion on how to do it. But I, I wanted to repeat one of the things that you said, is that everybody wants their kids to be in school. That That's the goal across the board, no matter what side of the coin you fall on, and the conversation is, is how to do it safely. I think everybody can agree on that, and because and, that is the goal. I think everybody mm-hmm. wants to get back to how we used to do things, yeah. um, and there is work to be done before we can do that. I just think of um, my, my own home situation. So my wife and I, um, my wife works at Hawkeye Community College, um, and she's associate registrar out there. I'm obviously the long-titled guy within the Waterloo schools, <laughs> and we sat there last year with an eighth-grade son from March through May, and we were doing at-home learning, and our and you know there was virtual and there was stuff that they could be doing, but honestly, we also had to be working and doing our stuff because with both of us in education, especially. Um, you would think that he might be getting a rock star, top of the line education. Honestly, with us both being in education, we were really focused and had to be on our current situation in our jobs. You know, we were, I was dealing with, okay, what are we doing as a district, you know, district wide? And how are we going to get students what they need to have the best experience to, to not have drop off in what they are learning? And on the, on the backside of that, even though I was a classroom teacher for 10 years, you know, I think our son did not get near the education virtually or by Zoom or whatever method that he definitely would have got face-to-face. And um, it's just, you know, and so you take us, and um, that happened, I'm sure, all around the state. There was just, you know, if you're, even teachers that were home with their kids, it was tough for them it's just different than your classroom setting. So bringing them back was important, um, not only for the education piece, which is so vital, the education piece. You know, we don't want to have this huge drop-off, a generation of students, I would say, that, you know, basically uh, had a year or two where things just were not the norm and maybe they didn't get quite what they needed educationally. We don't want that to happen. Um, So face-to-face is vital. But if we're not face-to-face, we need to ensure that how we do education now as you use the term, and I love it because we use it quite a bit, the new norm, we have to make sure that if we aren't face-to-face, that what we're giving students is good form of education, that they're getting the most out of that. With that said, the other side of this picture is the social and emotional piece. Uh, you know, students were basically with social distancing, in most cases were home, you know, and not seeing their friends and missing out on lots of uh, that interaction that's so vital that they get at school. Um, in, in many cases also, you know, uh, you know, the supports that they need there. Um, one thing that we were very lucky as the district to do, and one of the things that I think we did a great job of is we have um, several families that really rely on us for breakfast and lunch. And we provided uh, dinner and l- or lunch to our students throughout the entire time frame from March through May, because that was vital um, in many cases for students to have a meal. So, you know, it's the new norm is, is going to be what it is until this either runs its course or we get a vaccine or whatever is going to happen. 
Um, but getting kids back face to face absolutely was our number one priority, but doing it right and doing it safely. I do really quick want to say we just talked about the emotional impact for, for students that are going back. I just want to plug really quick that we're going to have another episode on back to school. And we actually have um, one of our behavioral health, health experts that works primarily with children. Um, and he talks about some of the different things that parents um, can can do with their kids and some of the things the, um, that you can make sure that that is uh, that they're still getting everything that they need and all the support they need as they do go back to classes physically. So just a teaser for that um, episode that's going to be coming soon. Go ahead, Jerry. So, you know, I, I like you, you, Jeff, I was extremely happy not only for the one on one getting back to school for the educational part, because I too think that when this happened last March. Nobody was prepared. So you can't blame anybody, any school district on uh, not being prepared on how to teach students not being one-on-one or in a classroom. So, um, but I think, you know, like going into this new norm, do you think this will change the way school school is now for kids going in the future after COVID's all done? Do you think that these, these hybrid classes are these... Um, that technology will be utilized a lot more going forward from here on out? I think, you know, the face-to-face model is always going to be the best practice. You know, the, I, I don't think there's any debating that having a student in front of a teacher um, is the best method of instruction. Um, with that said, yeah, I think um, instruction will change. I think one of the biggest things on a positive side, if, if there are positives out of this, is we actually, you know, um, teachers had to learn on the fly. They had to become creative. They had to learn how to use different avenues of technology. Um, we had some teachers, instructors, as did every district in the state that maybe were not as tech savvy as they needed to be or you know, willing to learn it. Now you're kind of forced to learn it and become better at it. And I, I think one of the positives that will come out of this if we do remain face-to-face um, is the fact that our instructors are now um, with their in their toolbox now have the ability to take a lot of this a lot of these technolo- technological um, things that they're able to do in on, on a virtual setting and now do them in a classroom setting so um, you know the old traditional sit and get um, where the engagement level maybe isn't what it could or should be you know students today you know in this day and age that's not a model that's best practice um, you know, the kids have video games and they're, you know, there's, they're, I'm not going to say their brains are wired differently because I don't think that's truly happens, but I think they're just used to a lot more um, gadgets and bells and whistles and uh, the, the traditional method of sit and get teaching lecture and memorization. You know, I, I think a lot of our instructors that maybe were doing that are really looking at a shift of like, wow, this, you know, I know how to do this now. This, you know, I've, I didn't, you know, I've never had the opportunity. Now I know how to do this. And I think it's going to change instruction in that avenue. And the fact that you're, you're going to see a lot more activity-based or engagement-based learning taking place when they are face-to-face. And the other side of it is, is now I think our instructors are, if we do have to dial it down for a week or two weeks or a month or whatever, you know, they're also loaded with the tools to instruct and to engage students with various things that are out there um, virtually at home. 
So every district has the return to learn plan, and, and we talked a lot about the different ins and the outs of what goes into that. I'm curious, though, about some of the tangible changes that you can actually see within the buildings and within the classrooms. Can you go through just a couple examples of if I was walking into a classroom, some of the things that I would actually see of how you guys are doing things differently to, to keep everybody safe? Absolutely. So um, obviously one of the first things you would see is students in mask or PPE protective face shields, um, depending on their class and, and such that that's a, an obvious one, you know, I think there's all sorts of studies out there that have shown that the face mask um, can be a great barrier in the prevention of the spread of, of the COVID virus. So that's one in itself. You'd walk in a classroom and you would literally see all students and staff wearing the mask. And that's all ages? All ages, correct. And, oh, you know, wow. that was kind of a difficult question. So, you know, You've had, you, you have a young one, if you, when your students get to preschool age, your kids get to, you know, they're always messing and fussing around and, and that's difficult. And, um, you know, how are the kids going to keep the mask up and stuff like that? They're playing with the mask and, and things like that. But we, we require the mask um, for all of our students at all ages there. Um, the big one will be uh, separation, um, social distancing, the, the, the K-5 classrooms are going to be put into separate groups so they'll have a grouping so they'll have kind of like a pod or a group that they will be with at at all times and that way let's say there is a breakout in a classroom or in a um you know in a, in a setting once in a family and that way you limit it to that grouping of of students uh the other one is you're going to see in in secondary is the six foot social distancing how desks are set up um, another one is, is you're going to walk in our buildings and you'll see uh, shields, uh, plastic shields around desks um, as students uh, work in their, at their desk. Um, so having the ability to see uh, instruction, to see other students, to talk to other students, but having that protective shield or barrier between them and other students as they work there. So desks are arranged differently. Um, you'll see uh, masks, you'll see desk shields. Um, even the lunch situation. So in, in the past, you would have hot, meal, hot served meals uh, and students going through and being served by cafeteria personnel. Now we actually have uh, breakfast available, but we also have prepackaged meals for our lunch that can be picked up in the cafeteria and then they go to a, back to their desk and they can sit and eat, talk, social distance with their classmates while they eat. Um, but it's not going to be in a, in a cafeteria setting where you're all bunched together. It's going to be um, really spreading them out. You know, the social distancing aspect is, is very vital. Um, the other thing you'll notice, especially at the, the secondary level, um, at the high schools especially, is just the, the, the going to the hybrid method is the ABABA um, model where we're, we're basically split, splitting the buildings in half and bringing kids in every other day. And then on their off day or their, let's say if an, I'm, I'm an A student, their B day, they would actually be doing virtual learning or some sort of blended learning at home. Um, so our instructors really are kind of setting up two um, methods or means of instruction. They're going to do their face-to-face -face instruction for their A students, but then they also have the at-home off day students uh, there. So the numbers in the classrooms, you, you're going to walk in the buildings and 
um, they're going to be smaller. It's going to feel less. It's going to be lighter. Um, we also had um, one of the options that we gave our families was the ability that right off the bat, if they were um, for, for whatever reason they wanted, for personal reasons, they did not want their students coming back in the buildings. We did allow families to go virtual, sign up for that, so they would actually get all online learning uh, at home. And, you know, we made sure they'd get Chromebooks and we'd set them up with hotspots or uh, media or internet if they needed that. Um, but that would be a little bit different in the fact that the, the home online virtual learning is actually going to be off a, an educational system called Edgenuity. So they'd actually be working in modules in, in, a, um, in a learning system with a teacher checking in on them instead of face-to-face -face instruction. So we had about, I would say about a quarter of our families have chosen the virtual and are keeping their students out. So that in itself has created social distancing. And then when you start splitting, um, you know, at the secondary, splitting the high schools in half, uh, you know, we, we have smaller numbers in the buildings each day. So lots of little things too. Um, our buildings get cleaned thoroughly every single day. Um, our custodians have been tremendous in working and cleaning and keeping things straight and getting uh, things uh, sanitized. Um, another one that would not be noticed by anybody other than that we're doing it is most of our buildings actually have, most of our buildings are actually new. So we have modern HVAC systems and um, we're changing out the filters more often to hopefully have better air circulation, cleaner air circulation, and making sure that that's done um, more often and making sure that the, the air quality is, is better too. So lots of little things behind the scenes that you may not see, but there'd be some very um, um, overt things that you would see immediately as you walk into a classroom. Another big one is that we're just, we're not allowing visitors right now into our buildings. Um, it's the students come in, the instructors come in, um, a visitor uh, can come in, check out their child, but we're not having any special groups or, guest speakers or anything like that, um, at least through September 30th. We're gonna re-examine things on October 1st and see where we're at, but um, you know, really right now, it's just uh, school personnel and students that are gonna be in those buildings. You know, it really, like just listening, you to, listening to you talk about all of the things that your district has done to safeguard the children and, the, and the, those who work at the, the schools, it really does take a village to make this safer for everyone. I mean, you listed an enormous amount of things that you guys are doing for your school district and all things that cost, all, you know, a lot of money, all things that take a lot of time and effort by people really organizing it to make it the safest possible so our students can go back to school. So um, I give kudos to any school teacher that had to go through this process, any, any you know, any um, administration that helped create these plans because it is no easy task to one uh, teach a child online or two to just make children and parents feel safe coming back into um, an unknown you know uh, an unknown what to do pandemic that we're all trying to get through together so I think it says a lot about how hard you guys have worked to get our school our schools back and our students back and making parents know that it's at this every safe safest precaution because you guys are you guys are parents too so you understand what we're all going through 
absolutely. I mean, again, number one priority was our students, but our second priority is our staff too, because obviously, you know, there's a lot of unknowns out there. And honestly, um, we're bringing adults back into the building too. And I, I think, you know, if you look at the studies and, and read what you read, um, the adults are really the ones that are probably at a higher risk than, than the children. Um, so, you know, we're doing our best to make sure that, you know, our adults are safe also. So this is not only about the students who, again, are the number one priority um, with their education, but it's also about our staff that we're bringing in. Um, the, the, the other one is, is the community. You know, we, we're doing these safeguards to protect our community because our students ultimately in our, in our adult, our instructors and our staff do go out in various places in Blackhawk County and, you know, we want to ensure that, you know, they're not taking, if they have to go shopping somewhere, if they go to Target or, you know, wherever, Walmart, that when they're out that, you know, they've been protected by us as best we can when, when they have to go out and do, you know, things that need to be done for their families themselves. And so, you know, there's a lot, like, like you mentioned, there's been thousands of people involved in this process. Um, you know, we have 11,000 students and uh you know 1700 employees i believe and so you talk about a village we have a we have a very large village here in blackhawk county and uh we want to ensure the safety and the health of not only our village but everybody in this in this county well and i'm like you said everybody everybody across the state in all states are probably you know, doing the same thing as you. And, and though it may look different than the Waterloo School District, the number one thing is the students and, and um, the staff coming into those buildings because it just creates safety for everybody who they touch. So um, I, I, I think that's pretty much it for today. Uh, do you have anything, Jeff, that you want to add to this? Well, I, you know, I, I've probably done probably more talking in a podcast than <laughs> I'm sure it's a lot more interactive than this, but uh, there's just a lot of information out there. I would tell anybody, you know, understand that we're doing our best and we're monitoring things on a daily basis. We really are. Um, and, you know, I, it's it just, it's amazing to see, you know, how you take this, you go from March till, you know, here we are August 25th and how transformational things have been in that, 163, 64 day period of what our norm was back in March to what it is now. And we don't know how long this is going to be, hopefully shorter than, than longer, but we need to prepare for the long haul. And, and, you know, we know we as schools play a vital part in not only education, but the safety of, of many members within this community here. So we're doing our best. Um, you know, I, I would tell people like anything, there's always, uh, people out there that you know you can't whatever side you fall on on anything you know uh, we, we take some heat for some of the calls we made but I think it, just so you understand every decision that's been made has been made with the utmost thought and the utmost information and research and talking to as many people as we can on these decisions because they're not easy they're not easy at all you know, um, a lot of districts have started virtually or wanted to. And, you know, the governor said that was not an option. We did not, we wanted to start um, with kids, but these are tough decisions. And, um, you know, it's, they're not made easily 
or without a lot of research and information there. So we're doing our best, um, you know, as well, you know, you guys are in healthcare and as Mercy's doing, as uh, all entities are doing, we're, you're making the decisions that are best for your entity and, and best for people. So yeah. And you just, you, and you know, it can change within a, in a day. So that's what people just need to realize that nobody knows where this could go. And everybody's just hoping for the best and doing the best they know how to do in this given moment. So. Absolutely. So, you know, again, the term I use is we're going to dial up or dial down as needed. We're, you know, again, monitor daily and we're going to make decisions as needed on a dime. And uh, that's just the, that's the norm right now that we're living in. Um, hopefully we get over this at some point, and I, I believe we will. I, I can't see us in this day and age having this last forever, but um, you know, in the short term, we're going to be um, making decisions on a daily basis of what's best for our students and our community. Well, thanks for everything you guys do for our students and for your staff. We appreciate it. And that's to all those teachers out there listening to this podcast. We appreciate everything you do to make our our children number one and and feeling safe and getting the education they need for emotional and uh and intellectual support so jeff frost who's the executive director of professional and technical education at waterloo schools thanks a lot for joining us today thank you for having me and again like i said uh best of luck to everybody out there we're gonna we got this we're gonna we're gonna we're going to not only survive this, we're going to, we're going to take, we're going to conquer it. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you. I bet you got some feedback for this episode today. So make sure to send that. You can email podcast at mercyhealth.com or you can fill out this submission form over at mercyone.org slash podcast. And you can find a bunch of our other episodes there too. Cause they're pretty awesome. Hey, and don't forget, you can find us on your favorite podcast app. Um, at podcast at mercyhealth.com. And again, we love your feedback. So talk to us, everyone. We want to hear from you and we want to know what you want to hear from us. So until next time, live your best life.